Welcome to the Really Useful Podcast. We are the tech podcast for technophobes. So if you're a little bit unsure about what your technology should be doing, why story X in the news is important, or if you're concerned about the security of your portable devices, your passwords, worried about being hacked, or just want to know how something works properly and effectively without reading through pages and pages and pages of instructions, uh, you've gone to the right place. I'm Christian Colley uh, from AQSoft.com, and with me this week is Megan Ellis. Hi, Megan. Hi, Christian. Good to have you back on the Really Useful Podcast. Uh, we've um, got a few things to talk about, so I'm just going to uh, give the listener a quick run through. We're going to be looking at uh, another new Spotify feature, uh, the chance for you to now use um, two-factor authentication on iOS provided by Android, and uh, some a way to find out more about Anne Frank provided by Google. We'll also be looking at ad-free mobile games, Instagram photo editors, and some interesting ways for you to reuse that old PC that's gathering dust in the spare room. Uh, Megan, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, not bad, thank you very much. Have you uh, been up to anything interesting this past weekend? Mostly playing Pokemon Go, which I'm not sure is interesting <laughs> by objective standards, but that's what I've been doing in yourself. Well, if I've been, well it was Father's Day yesterday, so um, I received a uh, few gifts from the children, uh, including a Marvel-themed uh, plastic tankard that you put in a freezer to chill your drinks, mm. and a uh, and a fart-absorbing cushion. I think they, they're throwing some shade there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says on the cushion. Uh, okay, let's crack on. Um, we talked last week about um, Spotify launching a new Pandora-like feature. And uh, they're back with another new feature, which is a personalized playlist called Your Daily Drive, aimed at commuters who endure a hellish, potentially, drive to work I'm back every day, but you don't have to be a commuter to listen to. And I suppose as well, if you're, I mean, if you're in the UK, um, I know I can't speak for any other subways. I can't speak for the Paris subway or the Munich subway or the New York subway. But I know in London, the London Underground, there is um, good uh, mobile internet and Wi-Fi provision. So you might even be able to use it there. Although I would imagine the bandwidth hit might be substantial. Do you Spotify, Megan? I don't really use Spotify that much, but I do like the idea of this kind of feature. I mean, um, radio is still huge in South Africa. It doesn't, yeah. it's not nearly as um, stifled as in other countries, but I think people would enjoy it because like, quite frankly, like I know when I get stuck in traffic, I've, I've sometimes just switched my radio off. I can't, I can't stand hearing like the same 90s song for like the 50th time in a week yeah um or just the ads and sometimes i'll just switch it off so it would be great to have like a mix of like news and podcasts and music and especially music that's tailored towards your tastes like i think that's a big thing because a lot of the time you just kind of compromise like i know i switch between two stations and choose whichever's not playing the worst music <laughs> mm. so i think yeah even in in any country that that's great to have a more personalized kind of radio station tailored towards you yeah i agree i mean there's there was a time a few years ago here in the uk where uh commercial stations seem to be playing nine songs mm. all day long punctuated with adverts and trailers and a bit of mindless 
waffle uh and you you would just quickly get sick of that and i think the 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 ability not just from streaming but also for people to take their music into the car with them and play it off a phone through a mm. what through, through an rf connection or whatever um i i think that's really uh opened up audio again it's in, i think radio's had to up its game as well mm. but um yeah something like that. I, I don't use spotify I'm more of an amazon music person my wife uses spotify mm. quite a lot. um i just uh I don't know. I think I find the endless having the sign in thing and the user interface is never really, really, uh, yeah, I've just never really got, got, got the grips with Spotify. But uh, yeah, that's <laughs> a good feature. It might, it might even inspire me to use Spotify, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, more. definitely. Yeah. I think I'm interested in trying it out now. I use Deezer because they had a, a good special. <laughs> but right. um, yeah, I mean, this kind of marks it a bit differently from something like these i found its recommendations for me aren't very accurate so maybe i'll give spotify a chance they launched i think last year in south africa so it's mainly their late launch that prevented them from getting users like me who already had a a music subscription service so yeah recommendations are a funny thing aren't they for instance i mean i think we'd probably all agree that amazon is probably the king of recommendations but amazon music uh can seems to struggle for me for instance i like katie melua Mm. However, um, I don't want to listen to, say, Adele or Sam Smith. Yeah. And they will automatically come up if on a sort of uh, Katie Melua-themed station. Um, mm. they're, they're the type <laughs> of tracks that would follow. And I'm like, well, no, I don't listen to either. I don't like either of them. So, you know. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe, maybe uh, yeah. Don't know really where I was going with that, but um, yeah, radio recommendations need to audio recommendations need to improve Amazon. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, let's move on. Uh, so that's the Spotify thing. And now, as uh, with uh, all the things that we talk about in this week's really useful podcast, you will be able to find further details in the show notes uh, below this item wherever you're listening to the show. You can now use your Android for 2FA on iOS. Um, so, yeah, this is basically Google's unveiled a new 2SV method, two-step verification method, which enables you to use your phone as a physical security key. Um, but it wasn't previously available uh, compatible with iOS, but it is now. So basically, two-step ver- uh, authentication or verification means that you use an extra device to sign into somewhere. But um, it's, it's a great um, two-factor authentication, two-step verification. It's a great way to avoid um, kind of um, key loggers mm. or, um, in particular because you're putting in something random from another device. Um, so that item's always going to change, and it just enhances your security considerably. Um, it does mean, though, if you want to use this feature, that you need to add your Google account to your Android phone and then make sure it's also working on the iOS phone. Google Smart Lock for iOS is uh, useful for people with both Android and iOS devices. So you might have an iPhone or you might have an Android tablet or you might have an Android phone and you might have an iPad. So it's it's a general unification of um, some good online security practices. And, you know, we are moving towards a time where kind of 2FA, either through um, an authenticator app or another form of verification, maybe an email link or... um, uh, or, or even an SMS text message. It's going to be de rigueur for pretty much every account that you've got going. So this is 
This is pretty useful. Um, I, I take it you use two-factor authentication or two-step verification, Megan? Yes, but not as much as I should. <laughs> um, I definitely use it for <laughs> for some of my more like important accounts, um, especially for new sign-ins. So things like Twitter and um, new Gmail sign-ins and that kind of thing. But sometimes I'm I'm like I'm not as as good as I should be. Like Fortnite keeps being like, hey, we'll give you this free skin if you set up two FA. But I remember reading something about um, certain companies. Oh yes, Facebook <laughs> using two FA just to kind of harvest more data on you. So. Um, I think when I when I know it's going to improve the security of my account, then then I definitely use it. But sometimes I, I can be a little hesitant or just quite frankly lazy. But it would be great to have like a central device that can do all these things for you. Um, if yeah. I were an iOS user, kind of reminds me, um, my dad works at a bank and he had like a little, almost looked like a beeper, but it was their like early form of 2FA because he'd have this code that changed every few minutes on on right, this device yeah. and it would yeah he'd had to use it whenever he wanted to sign in to the back end of their systems yeah i mean that's the kind of where the technology stems from but uh, mm. yeah i um, i mean i'm i'm surprised you would disparage facebook in such a way <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> google now helps you learn about Anne Frank, which Mm. um, on what would have been her 90th birthday, Google unveiled a new way to learn about Anne Frank. It's an online exhibit that details Frank's childhood with um, photos and street view imagery to uh, virtually explore her childhood home uh, in uh, in Amsterdam, which um, Mm. really uh, interesting use of um, a a street view. And I'd like to see a bit more of this from Google. You know, there's so many people, not so much, I suppose, in the United States or or Australia or or, or South Africa or, or many places, but places that have a, a longer history um, where, you know, Europe is where the history comes from, after all. Mm. Um, but, you know, these places, these grand old buildings that are still standing, places, mm. places you know, places, I mean, there's... Um, I live quite close to the birth of the modern railroad and you know there's still structures standing that were part of that so that'd be that'd be another great example of somewhere where Google could sort of like take a look at uh, providing something like this have you got what would you like to see in street view imagery Megan well they've already I know in South Africa they've actually done a street view for most like a lot of our major national parks and like hiking trails and stuff and I think that that is a great thing, especially if you're a person who can't get there or um, you, you might be like um, might be someone who even just physically isn't able to, to deal with hiking up a mountain or something. I know mm-hmm. um, definitely I, I would struggle to hike up Table Mountain, but you'd like to see some of the views and see what's up there. And sure. um, I do enjoy that. But the historical element is also especially interesting. Um and I think it could be a great way if they expand to a lot of historical monuments, especially when local people can't afford to get there. So, for example, we have Robben Island Prison here where political prisoners were kept during apartheid. And sure, most yeah. locals can't afford the actual ferry ride to get there because it's, it's quite expensive. Um, so to be able to tour the prison and 
to see how small the cells are and that kind of thing, I think that would be just great for people to be able to see because if you haven't been there, like you can see photos, but being able to kind of rotate and look around and get a sense of the space and that kind of thing, I think would definitely be great and open up like a whole new world for a lot of people. Yeah, that's, that's, that sounds really cool. There's a lot of things you can do. I mean, there's an enormous amount of things that you can do with Street View, as you're probably aware. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if I'm going somewhere I've never been before, uh, once I get off the main road, I tend to use Street View to get an idea of what the area looks like mm. before I set off. Yeah, I've definitely done that in Cape Town CBD. There's like no parking, so I'll explore <laughs> an area and I'll be like, yeah. is there a place where I can park? How busy was it in 2014 when this photo was taken? <laughs> um, so it is definitely useful to get to get an idea of how things look. Um, yeah, even if the building doesn't have the right branding, um, sometimes it just helps to understand like what the shape of the building is, how it looks, so that you can figure out where it is. Or even if you're walking and you you need a better idea of where you're going like it's actually i love the technology um and the way they've been improving it that <clears throat> you can now put it on some guy's backpack <laughs> and he can go places where the google cars couldn't go before so i definitely like i like the new things that they're they're doing with it the, the google street view thing baffles the hell out of me because um where where we live the it's not a big town. I mean, we, we live in a kind of like a, a side town to like a main, a, a larger town, um, mm-hmm. like like a sub-district. And basically, the bit near the shops, which are by no means a sprawling mass of um, stalls, you know, there's probably about a dozen of them open at any one time. Around there, there's a street view photos from maybe even earlier this year, but certainly last year. Whereas where we live, which is about five minutes walk away, the last photos were taken out 10 years ago. <laughs> now, I know the Street View car's been around because I've seen it, but they haven't uploaded the more recent photos. So we, we, you end up with this strange scenario where you can look at the shops, cross the road, turn around, and the shops are completely different. <laughs> Uh, I think that that sometimes happens, uh, especially when a place has undergone maybe like a refurbishment of a lot of storefronts, which is also what's happening along some of our streets. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be a completely different area. I mean, um, I remember looking for Street View on one of my apartments, and um, they updated it last year sometime, but before the apartments weren't even built um, in the Street View image, it was just an empty lot. So there can be quite a disconnect, but yeah, maybe totally. that's also why there's uh, use in it to having a historical kind of use for it, because those places are, are meant to be kept intact and <laughs> will maybe. unlikely change. <laughs> so here's <laughs> something they don't have to worry about constantly updating. Sure, yeah. Okay, we're going to move on now. Um, you'll find a link to the um, Anne Frank material on uh, Google uh, in the show notes. We're going to move on to some tips now. And... Uh, I've been looking at some free mobile games that you can play that don't have any adverts in. Mm, or in-app purchases. Or in-app purchases, that's right. Because there's, uh, I think most people know that uh, if they're going to play a mobile game and it's free, there's a very good chance of it having some 
need for you to spend money or display an advert. And it can be a bit irritating. Mm. Uh, now, I'm not going to say people shouldn't pay for games. and I'm not going to say that developers shouldn't expect to be paid for the work. Um, but in a world where things are very disposable, paying for something that you might not really get on with long term seems a little bit... I don't know. It doesn't seem sensible. I mean, you know, go back 30 plus years. I, you know, I could buy a game for my Commodore 64 for £1.99. Now, in current money, we're looking at probably five or six pounds. Mm. And some, some of those games were terrible. And I don't, <laughs> one or two of them I only played once. And there's probably mm. a couple that I never played at all because I bought, happened to buy something that was pretty good at the same time and only played that. So, you know, these, these days, you know, there's, there's an expectation that a game is going to be good if you're going to pay for it, and that's not always the mm. case. So if you're new to gaming on your mobile, then having some free games to play uh, that don't display annoying adverts and don't demand in-app purchases, then uh, that's quite cool. So we've got 10 here, uh, which I'm just going to run through. Um, there's Stranger Things, a game, which clearly... Um, that's free, and also it's an an, an enormously clever piece of <laughs> um, of promotional uh, material, basically. Uh, yeah. There's Ultra Flow, there's Game Start Pixel Battle, Data Wing, Ohm, Pew Pew, Underhand, Wicked Lair, Cytoid, Cytoid Big Bad, and Make Nines. And there's a vastly different type of uh, games across there. Cytoid's a music game, for instance. Uh, the, the the last game I mentioned there, Cytoid, uh, Big Bang Make Nines is a kind of a card uh, sort of a puzzle sort of a game. We've got card games in there. We've got shooters like Pew Pew, and yeah, there's there's so much going on in there that uh, you will be hard pushed not to find something that you like. I feel. Um, did you have you played any of these, Megan? <clears throat> I've personally tried the Stranger Things the game, especially when it came out. Um... And then, again, um, when we were covering it for the story, uh, I took a look at it again um, just to reacquaint myself with it. And, like, I, I found it really enjoyable. It's that perfect dose of nostalgia. The the branding, like, you know it's it's a promotional thing, but um, I find it's not too much in your face. You see the Netflix badge when you start your game, and that's, that's about it. The rest is just about nostalgia and adventure game type stuff, but in a also mobile-friendly way. So, for example, um, you attack uh, mobs and pick up items the same way just by clicking on them you don't have to struggle with trying to use multiple controls to steer your character and that kind of thing and i think it's thoroughly enjoyable and then i tried the um ohm as well the virtual science center um didn't get very far just because i were, was trying it out and then had to do some other things but it's it's also um it's partially educational but um it basically uses the dynamics of um like electricity and energy and that kind of stuff to help you solve puzzles and i think it's it's cool because it's it's not too patronizing um when it tries to educate you about these things it's like a nice refresher so it's something that like school students but then also adults can enjoy and it's it's also just um different enough to to still be interesting <laughs> sure yeah uh i do i do admire the synergy of uh Stranger Things, the game. Mm. And it's a really clever move. 
making it free as well because you so many tie-in games you have to pay for um you know to cover the license cost for the developers and everything clearly this has been uh commissioned by netflix specifically as a piece of promotion uh which is just um it works superbly really Mm. And I find there's a lot of games, like just looking into alternative monetization, um, when it comes to kind of educational things as well, there's a lot of um, agencies interested in funding these kind of games. Because I know there was, um, I forgot what it's called, but something that's uh, also like a mobile game similar to, um, I don't know, just another kind of like collection game um, and puzzle game that's supposed to teach you about like fermentation and <laughs> pasteurization and stuff. Okay. And it was funded by some food agency as well. And then um, there's also there was a, a game that was crowdfunding um, almost like processing power to to help analyze cancer records for research. So again, the game's completely free, and you play it just kind of like any kind of uh, space shooter game, but. The game's also kind of harnessing that processing power to help servers get through um, records and data. Right. So, yeah, like sometimes games don't have to be packed with ads constantly. You can you can find alternative ways to monetize them and um, like novel ways to, to use gaming for <laughs> good causes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's maybe something we should look at another time, actually. But uh, let's push on um, to um, some some Instagram. No one knows what Instagram is. <laughs> I've just invented it, and it's uh, it's it's coming to be. It's going to be with you on a mobile app uh, sometime. Uh, never. <laughs> Five Instagram photo editors to create better pictures. Because Instagram's obviously got its own editing tool, hasn't it? But wh- why would you use other editing tools, Megan? Um, basically because, um, Instagram's tools are a bit limited. Um, also it's the same set of filters for its millions of users. So if you want to stand out, create something different or even, um, use more precise editing tools like selective editing and brush editing rather than just applying it as a steady layer over your entire picture, um, third party apps are, are great for that. And then these specific um, apps featured in this article, um, obviously third party apps, but then allow you to share straight to Instagram um, connected to your feed. And then you can go through the normal uh, posting um, on Instagram without having to save the photo separately on your device and then share it to Instagram. Okay. So, You've you've listed five here. Do you want to go through them briefly? Yeah, so there's Snapseed, which is probably one of the most uh, popular. It's owned by Google as well and very much um, a, a great editor. With It's completely free and like no in-app purchases. And it includes things like selective editing and brush editing. And you can edit levels, that kind of stuff, quite advanced tools. Then there's a color story, which I personally enjoyed. It has has some nice filters, but also it allows you to do scheduling for Instagram, which you usually find in apps like Buffer and Crowdfire. So it allows you to plan the time you want to receive a reminder and already have written out your caption. And then it'll, um, when the time comes, because you can't just automatically share like maybe on Facebook allows it and Twitter allows it. You can't do that on Instagram. So you you always need to receive a reminder. And then it will open it up 
your caption will be copied and you can post it on Instagram. Then there's Visco or VSCO. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure how to say it. Um, they're also, um, they have quite a few nice uh, filters in it, very different to Instagram's filters. Um, they also provide their own posting platform. So they also, at the same time, act as an alternative to Instagram if maybe you're tired of the influencers and you, you just want photography. Um, but it also allows you to share directly to Instagram. Then there's Adobe Photoshop Express. Um, so you'll find there's a few Adobe um, like Photoshop apps and Lightroom apps, but Express seems to, to have the most of the features available for free, um, as well as yeah, very great filters and effects that you can add, some more nuanced than like professional corrections you can add. And then again, sharing <laughs> directly to Instagram. And then Pixlr, which um, also has a, a web-based version, but again, there's another free um, editing app that allows like some cool effects, like being able to um, use color splash on things, remove red eye, um, and those kind of like double exposure as well, which it, instead of rather just putting like a slightly transparent image over another one, allows you to almost like create a collage where you have a background of one image and then superimpose another image over it without transparency. And just to create, um, I've seen a few people create it, like where they'll have the a natural background of the reserve they're visiting, and then a close-up image of like a specific plant or view and stuff, which also is quite a nice change from what you used to on Instagram. Yeah, that's re- it's a really good selection. Of those, I've I think I've used VSCO, and I'm pretty certain I've used Pixlr, uh, but I found Snapseed to be the one that I've used the most. Mm, same here. Would you say that's your favorite? Yes, definitely. Just just because of the brush editing, like that, that's a huge thing for me because sometimes part of your image is overexposed, but not the whole thing. Um, and being able to add details and that kind of thing, that's definitely like I can make an image look completely like much, much better through Snapseed. Um, and yeah, it just has some tools that a lot of the others don't, or which the others try to lock behind paywalls. Um, and yeah, I just I really enjoy its tools. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay, so um, yeah, so five excellent tools that you can use to um, go beyond the restricted filters of Instagram. Let's move on to uh, yeah, I think we've just got time to talk about this. You've probably got an old computer lying around. It might be a PC. It might be a laptop. It doesn't have to be gathering dust. There are so many interesting new things that you can do with it. Um, you know, there may be a problem with it. It may not be perfect for some purposes, but it, it may be absolutely ideal for others. So uh, make use of colleague Georgina Torbett has called produced this list of I think she gave us 10 different ways you can use an old PC and mm-hmm. so that they they range across the most obs- absurd things which is <laughs> um, a mineral oil cooled PC which is basically a PC that is submerged in mineral oil um, for cooling purposes you probably won't do that let's be honest just like you probably wouldn't build your PC into a desk. 
but you might use it as a home security system mm. you might use it as a game server um you know even a little raspberry pi can run a minecraft game session on your home network there's so many um different games that can be run uh, uh, for multiplayer purposes on your own network so that's a good idea um again um setting up a web server or a home data server or a media center server uh there are you know a great number of things you can do with an old pc do you have any old pcs knocking around megan I have an old PC case, but I think I harvested <laughs> it <laughs> for parts already. Um, but definitely in my childhood home, uh, where my dad frequently upgraded his PC, there's some old parts which you'd never sometimes think to use again, um, which which can be useful. I mean, I did use them in a few art, art projects <laughs> and sometimes for nerdy decor. Um, and then, yeah, we... We had a media server for a little while. Um, I don't know. Don't know what happened to that. <laughs> we ended up just using our phones for casting media uh, with the yeah. Chromecast. But um, definitely, there's so many things you can use it for, especially if it's stuff that people aren't going to buy but is still useful. It's funny you should mention the um, the RT things because I'm actually using a or a. A drinks mat here for my a coaster for my coffee, uh, which mm. was made from an old motherboard, but by yeah. me some years ago. <laughs> uh, and uh, basically, how did I do this? I think I ended up cutting some of the chips off with with uh, metal wire clippers, and I tried putting it in the oven for about six hours at a <laughs> lowish at a lowish temp to sort of melt some of the soldering stuff off but that ultimately didn't work so <laughs> in the end it basically got the ends sanded and rounded off and some cork glued to the back of it and mm. you know it's just quite a few years ago and it's still still going strong this little piece mm -hmm. of uh, this little motherboard coaster and uh, you can hear it just there <laughs> um taking the weight of an empty darth vader coffee mug so yeah, I mean that's that's another thing you could do in old PC parts. Um, re recycle them as completely different things. I mean, there's some good fun projects in here, and it's um it's what it, it appeared in our DIY section. So, you know, the, the the mineral oil PC. If you're interested in finding ways of maximizing the output from a computer, then mineral oil cooling is uh, definitely going to push it to its limits. Uh, mounting your PC on a wall or in a picture frame, I'm not entirely certain that anyone other than a DIY looking for something interesting to do is going to do that. But I think there's opportunities with um, you know the server side of things. And if you don't have an old PC and you do want to build a server, then there are other ways of building a server for pennies uh, with a Raspberry Pi or a similar small mm. computer. Uh, we've got some Raspberry Pi themed uh podcasts coming up in a few weeks time uh so that's a couple of things to look out for we're actually going to be talking specifically about retro gaming uh and and then retro gaming on the raspberry pi so uh keep your keep your podcast app tuned in to that that was an uncomfortable clunky way of saying listen out for that one <laughs> um but it's the age of podcasts and everything's new uh so, uh, Megan, was there anything else you wanted to uh, add to this week's uh, really useful podcast? 
not that I can think of. I'm I'm interested in hearing about this retro gaming with um all the the new consoles coming up out for a premium, the the retro new <laughs> consoles that cost more than the originals. Yeah. Um so definitely if you want an emulator instead of buying like a another tablet that you'll forget about somewhere or <laughs> doling out a bunch of cash on a um classic version of a console you can get the gaming experience um with the raspberry pi and i mean still maybe use it for a few extra things as well maybe indeed i was actually using the uh, nes classic mini yesterday with the kids um mm. which kept, kept them entertained all day long so you know that's that's a win and yeah definitely uh, for kids as well because i mean we loved those games when we were kids it's it's not like now where you get bored after an hour you're like okay mario was cool when i was five but i could only play it for a few hours as an adult yeah yeah but do you know what i think minecraft and a couple of other games but mainly minecraft i think they've kind of uh contextualized retro style graphics Mm. if you'd have you know like 10 15 years ago playing like a game from the 80s people would have more or less looked at you as if you're a bit weird Mm. Maybe they still do that, but I don't know. Maybe I'm not noticed. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, I think 8-bit and 16-bit style graphics have been contextualized into the modern, you know, slick, cinematic style graphics that we get in games like Red Dead Redemption and Assassin's Creed and whatever. Um, so they can sit side by side rather than looking like archaic remnants from a bygone age. Yeah, definitely. Like, you're talking to someone who spent well over 200 hours in Stardew Valley, so... <laughs> <laughs> I definitely understand the appeal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I nearly bought a Commodore 64 Mini, or C64 Mini, I should say, um, on, uh, what day was it? Thursday or Friday last week. It was down to 50 quid. Oh. Um, that's 50 pounds now in the UK on Amazon. I thought, wow, I could probably buy that. And I thought, no, because actually my twins are eight later this month, and uh, if I've got 50 pounds spare, then... Ah, it's not to be spent on me. Um, but maybe next month. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so, yeah, some retro gaming themed really useful podcasts coming up uh, probably next month. Uh, we'll be back next week with another uh, topical mix of news and tips for you to get the most out of your tech. Uh, until then, uh, from Megan Ellis and myself, Christian Corley, and the team at MakeYourself.com, it's goodbye. Goodbye.